You'll be glad to know that today is the last day we're looking at the book of Ephesians. Because I know some of you, as we have taken several weeks to learn what Paul wrote to the Ephesians to us, you probably thought, when's this going to be over? But maybe you're someone who likes to listen and study in depth, and you wish that we could spend a year in the book of Ephesians. I don't know which one you are, but nevertheless, uh, today is the last day. And Paul has been telling us in the last uh, half of his letter how to walk with God. He told us to walk worthy of our calling, walk in wisdom. And that is a beautiful metaphor of how to live our Christian life. Because we are taking one step at a time. And we are next to God. or We are following God. And we're on a path of life that God is taking us somewhere. So it's a beautiful metaphor for a close relationship with our Lord and Savior. But today, he changes the metaphor, and he doesn't tell us to walk. He tells us to stand. To stand. Well, that's something completely different. When you're standing, you're not here in one place. But there's a reason that he changes the metaphor, because he talks about spiritual warfare. That is his lesson to us as he concludes his letter. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally. Now you also know like a pastor, when a pastor says finally, or this is the last thing, or just one moment, you know he's got another 20 minutes to go. So Paul, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He's telling us to stand in spiritual warfare. I find among Christians there's uh, almost a spectrum of beliefs about what spiritual warfare is. There's some Christians who almost ignore it completely and would even say it's hard to believe that Satan's not even real. That Satan is just a, a, a metaphor or he's a philosophy. A, he's just a, a dramatization of evil. On the other hand, there's some Christians who focus their spiritual walk and their Christian life on this truth of spiritual battle. And they see their whole life every day as a struggle. And they're in there fighting against Satan. And sometimes they'll even talk about binding Satan or attacking Satan. They'll pray for a town or a city to drive out the demons. And they're looking for people who are possessed by demons. And they're trying to, to cast them out of them. And, and to me, they almost seem like they see demons and Satan everywhere, and their Christian life is attacking and driving out in between. It tells us the truth that spiritual battle is real. Satan is a real being, and he is powerful, and he is attacking, and he does want to destroy. And so we are in a spiritual battle. But also, God tells us that our the way we fight it is not to attack him. It's not to seek him out. It's not trying to drive him out or to bind him. It is to stand. Other places in the New Testament we're told, Peter tells us to be alert, to be ready. Because he tells us the devil is like a roaring lion, lion that's seeking out Christians that he can devour. So the idea of being alert 
tells us that we have to be aware there is a spiritual battle. But the way we fight it is to stand, is to resist. In other words, it's really a defensive position. We're not trying to take new territory. We're not trying to advance and attack Satan. Jesus has won the victory over Satan. Satan's still trying to get his licks in and still trying. Jesus has already won. And to resist the devil and put on that armor of God so you can stand. But that's how we fight the spiritual battle. And you'll notice as Paul tells us more about it, the focus is on what God has done, what protection he gives us. The focus is on God. The focus isn't on Satan. It's not on his demons. It's not on him and them. It's on God and what he has done. And I think that's the balance to have and the truth of the spiritual battle. I think of the man named Job. I don't know if you've ever saw his picture or not, but there it is. Okay, if you ever wanted to know what Job looked like, I share that picture up there and you have no idea. Talk about spiritual battle. Sometimes we also try to figure out when something happens in our life, where is it coming from? Is this Satan attacking me? Is this coming from inside of me? You know, what's happening? I think the story of Job tells us it doesn't matter that we find out the source of our problems or the oppression. It doesn't matter because remember his story. He lost his children. He lost all of his possessions. He lost his health. In his case, it was a direct attack from Satan. It's clear in Scripture. Satan went to the Lord and the Lord gave him permission to attack Job. But the important God never told him because it doesn't matter. Yes, Satan does attack us. We live in a world that is tainted by sin, so tragedy happens, disaster happens. We are sinners, so we act out in our sinful nature, and we sin, and we bring destruction, and we bring devastation ourselves. So whether it comes from inside of us, whether it comes from a world that is messed up by sin, or whether it comes from Satan himself... We don't know, we don't need to know, because the answer to how we react in all of those is the same. So we don't need to think about, worry about, is, is that the response to all of those is turning to God, being strengthened by Him, and having faith in Him. That's how we defeat Satan, that's how we defeat the sin in us, that's how we face the tragedy in the world Around us. And Job teaches us that. Paul goes on to say this For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Do we sometimes identify the wrong person as our enemy? That's our enemy. Or we look to a politician or to a government or to a world ruler and say, that's the enemy. Unfortunately, sometimes we look at other Christians and say, they are the enemy. Brothers and sisters, we're not the enemy of each other. This world is stacked against us. Satan is stacked against us. We, don't have, we have enough people attacking Christians. We don't need other Christians doing that. So understand that first. Your brother and sister is not your enemy. And really, people aren't our enemy. How should we expect unbelievers to act? 
They don't have God living in them. They don't know. That's how they speak. That's how they act. They're not really the enemy. Paul tells us the enemy is Satan, his demons. They're organized. They have authority on this planet. And they are the one that's the enemy, the ones that's attacking us, the ones that we have to stand against. Other people we love, have compassion. Yes, we speak the truth, but it's always in love. Our brothers and sisters, we're told how to treat each other, to bear with one another, to love one another, forgive one another, serve one another. There's no attacking one another in those commands. It's the enemy who is Satan that we stand against and identify as the enemy. Satan, he's a liar, he's a murderer, he's an accuser. He does not know everything because he's not God. He's not all-powerful because he's not God. He's not eternal. God created him. Satan rebelled against God, wanted to be God himself. Other angels who had been created joined with Satan, rebelled against God. Those are the demons. Satan and the demons cast out of heaven, roam and rule on this earth in a way that we can't see, but we see the effects. So the battle is real. The enemy's real. Satan and his demons are real. Satan doesn't know everything, but he's been around long enough to know how he can push our butt, red dragon with fire coming out of his mouth. I mean, if you saw him like that, you'd run away from him. <laughs> That's not how he attacks. Paul says he masquerades as an angel of light. He uses subtlety. He uses deception and half-truths to deceive and to tempt. Think about Eve and how Satan tempted her. First thing he did was he got her to doubt God's word. His first words to her were, did God really say? That's often how he starts. You have a belief in your mind and Satan will say to you, is that really true? Did God really say that? And you start to doubt. Pointed out how fruit looked how delicious it probably tasted. He'll often point to our natural selves and things that bring joy but are forbidden, and he will say, don't you think that would be wonderful? And then he tempted her with being able to be like God. He got her to doubt God's word, showed her how the fruit would be tasty and beautiful to the eyes. And then laid out before her something that she desired and wanted. Who wouldn't want to be like God? She was deceived and sinned, and Adam as well sinned. And we are their children, and so he uses the same schemes on us. Lust at things in our life, and to have us desire things that we want, that we shouldn't have or we don't need. And he tempts us. And we are taken in. And we fall. And we sin. 
He wants to destroy you. I, I don't think we understand it. The Satanist doesn't want to make your life miserable. He hates you, especially as a child of God. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy this church. He's a, a liar, a deceiver, a murderer. And he is that God has already won the victory. There's armor that we can wear that will help us to stand. And we can have the victory over this powerful enemy. Paul says, Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The first thing is to realize that we are weak, but God is strong. God's strength created this universe. God's strength raised Jesus from the dead. God's strength has forgiven sins, conquered Satan already, and conquered death. That's the power of God that lives in with his descendants. This is the attacks. Yes, we are weak, but God is strong. So Paul says, be strengthened by that strength. Don't try to stand against the devil by yourself. It's unnecessary. God's with you. It's going to fail, so don't even try it. You have the strength of God. Then he talks about the armor of God that we have. Here's a, a picture that shows the different pieces of it. Now, Paul used a metaphor, the armor of a Roman soldier. In fact, as he wrote Ephesians, he was under house arrest. It's likely there was a Roman soldier standing right next to him when he wrote this. So he could look, yeah, there's the helmet, there's was all the time. They lived in the Roman Empire. These guys were everywhere. They knew exactly what Paul was talking about. When I hear it, I get confused. And I try to think, now which one's the helmet? Which one's the belt? And I get even more confused when I try to figure out, well, it's the helmet of salvation. Why isn't it the, the breastplate of salvation? Why is salvation the sword? Why is this one that one and that one not that one? And you know what? I don't think we need to worry about the helmet and the belt and the sword and all that. Okay? So this morning, I'm not going to even talk about those things. Because it's a metaphor. He's saying this is armor. It's protection. It defends us. So do you get that point? Against Satan. What's more important are the other words. Truth. Righteousness. Gospel of peace. Salvation. Those are the words we need to focus on. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. And not worry about the pieces of armor. The first word is truth. He tells us. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand, stand, that's three times he talks about standing. Therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request the saints. The first word is truth. If Satan is a deceiver, the best defense against deception is to know the truth. So the more you know about God, the more you know about salvation, the more you know about yourself, to know you more know about the truth of this world and God and who you are and Satan, then you're able 
to defend yourself against his lies. Unfortunately, sometimes people who are part of a church, part of a Christian group, aren't very knowledgeable of the truth. And you will see a false teacher come and they will be deceived and they'll fall away from the truth. They'll leave the faith because they believe a lie. It's vitally important that we as Christians know the word of God and we believe it and we know the truth. Isn't it true? If you know what the truth is, when someone comes with a lie, you're going to be able to see it a mile away. And the more truth you know, the better you're defended against Satan's lies. He'll have to come up with a more clever lie. He'll have to come up with a different one. He can't use the easy ones on you. You know, it's interesting that uh, when I've been told that when the FBI who are trying to learn counterfeits from real money spend all their time really looking at the real thing. They need to know the truth. And then when they see the counterfeit, it's easy. They don't waste their time learning all the different ways you counterfeit money. If they did that, they'd never stop learning. There's all kinds of ways to do that. Satan has all kinds of lies. We don't need to worry about learning all the lies that he tells. Let's learn the truth. And then when the lie comes, it'll stand out in stark contrast and we can run away from it. So know the truth. The second word is righteousness. To attack us. When we are saved, the righteousness of Christ becomes the, the robe, in a sense, that we wear. When God sees us, he doesn't see our sin and see our rebellion. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And we're told to live that way, right? To walk worthy of that righteousness. To live a life walking with God that is holy. When we live that holy and righteous life, it's harder for Satan to attack us. Think about this. If you're living in sin, isn't it easier for Satan just to add another sin to it? Oh, you... You enjoy that one? Here's another one. And here's another one. Uh, When we are not living a right life, we're already doubting the word of God. So it's easy for him to throw in a lie or two here and have us farther away from God. If we're already living a life, when we're walking away from God, he's just had to push us a little bit harder. And now we're even farther away. But the opposite is also true. If we're living a false life, we don't want it. We don't want that sin. We don't want that life. We've got righteous life. We have the blessings of living this way. We don't want that counterfeit that he offers. It's a defense against what he will throw at us. The third word is the gospel of peace. It's the gospel that saves us and delivers us from Satan in the first place. Until we are believers in Christ, we are sinners... Satan has control over us unlike he does when we are a child of God and saved. And we're part of this world and we're on our way to hell, the lake of fire where Satan is going to be for eternity. But it's the gospel, the good news that Jesus eternal life in heaven and have conquered death and sin. This good news is what saves us in the first place. It's also what gives us peace when Satan comes to attack us. Because he will attack us with lies. But this gospel is the truth that counteracts those lies. It's also, I will use this one picture of the armor itself. These are the shoes. And the Roman soldier's shoes had spikes on the bottom so they could get grip. And so when Satan comes to attack, this gospel of peace keeps us 
in place so that we are not moved. And also the shoes are what you use to walk with, to spread and share this gospel of peace. That is how more people are delivered from Satan and more against the attacks of Satan. Then there's faith. Against sometimes life seems upside down and we don't understand it. That's when Satan will come and tell you God doesn't really care for you. That's when faith says, God does care, even though I can't understand it. When Satan comes and tells you lies about God and about your life, that's when your faith, your trust in God, gives you strength that don't penetrate you because your faith is there as a shield. Faith is trust in God. Faith is believing what God has said. Faith is believing the promises of God. And it's doubt and fear and worry that Satan will try to throw at you. And the remedy to worry, to fear, to doubt is faith. Faith drives out fear. Faith puts an end to doubt. Faith is that defense against those attacks. Trust God and His promise. Salvation is the other word. Salvation can mean our ultimate salvation. Belief in Christ. Eternity with Him. But salvation also is deliverance. And deliverance in that moment. So we have this wonderful promise that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. I think we don't realize the significance of that promise. Because what God is saying, Satan, yes, is going to say, there's a limit to what Satan can do. And that limit is what you can bear. So this is a comfort and it's a warning. It's a comfort because every time you are tempted to sin, there's always a way to victory. Always. Isn't that a wonderful promise? There's always victory over temptation and sin. Every time Satan comes at you. That's the promise. God's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's also a warning. You can never say the devil made me do it. Be strong enough that he is going to bend your will and he's going to make you do something. He can't do that. All he can do is tempt you. You're the one who chooses and decides to rebel and sin against God. So it's a warning. Don't ever think that you can say, oh, it's not my fault. If it wasn't for Satan, I'd be a perfect person. You know, it's all his fault. Uh-uh. That's not his fault. It's your fault. But the comfort is, when he does come to attack, God is always going to provide a way out. And what's that way out? All these things we've been talking about. The truth, faith, righteousness, and the way to overcome the temptation. The last one is the Word of God. The Word of God, we often think of the Bible. And that is true. That is the Word of God. The actual word that's used here speaks more of the, the uh, 
words of God. I mean, his speaking to you, the speech of God. So it's a subtle difference. But I think the subtle difference is this. Yes, we need to know the truth in the word of God. And yes, we need to use the word of God as that only offensive weapon in this armor. But it's also that moment that you need salvation and the moment you need deliverance, God speaks to you directly with his voice. This was tempted. Think about this. Jesus could have done anything when Satan came. Jesus, with the word, could have cast him into the lake of fire. He's going to do it one day. He could have done it then. Jesus could have said, Satan, you're gone. And Satan would have had to go. But Jesus didn't do that. I believe the reason he didn't was he was going to defend himself against Satan in a way that all of us also can. You see, I can't cast Satan into the lake of fire. Only God can do that. But the way that Jesus was victorious, all of us can do it. And all he used was the word of God, the scripture. And Satan left. It it wasn't... Jesus throwing fireballs at him. It wasn't Jesus casting him out. When Satan said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread, Jesus quoted the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. When Satan said to Jesus, bow down to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus quoted scripture. Worship God and serve him only. Jump off. And then even Satan quoted scripture. You know, Satan was trying to get out on the act. So he quotes scripture. He quotes the Psalms. He will guard, have his angels protect you. Jesus quoted scripture accurately and not out of context and said, you must not test the Lord. And Satan left. Do you see the simplicity of it, but the effectiveness of it? Again, not mortal, eternal, hand-to-hand combat. Quoting scripture was all it took. That's how powerful the word of God is. And why it's the one Satan. The last thing is prayer. You can't put on this armor and fight against Satan and defend yourself without praying. And I like what Paul says. Paul says to pray all the time. He says to use all kinds of prayers. And he says to pray for everybody. So that's a lot of praying. But the point is, you know, pray all the time. There's no time that you can let your guard down. Remember, Satan is prowling around. That's why we're told, be alert. Be on guard. Always be praying. You can't put your guard down. When you stop praying, when you take the armor off, that's when Satan attacks. Prayer. It doesn't matter. Just talk to God. Whether it's an eloquent prayer, whether it's a simple prayer, whether it's a long prayer, a short prayer, whether it's a selfish prayer or an unselfish prayer, it really doesn't matter. Just pray. Talk to God all the time with all kinds of prayers for everybody. Not just for yourself. Pray for all the saints. And then Paul, I want to read the last words of the letter, so I've read every verse to you over the last several weeks, okay? And Pastor Brady has too. He says, pray also for me, 
that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel, bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of you, but excuse me, grace be with all who love undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was a prisoner and he was going to testify once again for who he was, why he was proclaiming the gospel. And he asked for prayers and with courage. I'm impressed with the prayers of Paul in the book of Ephesians. Remember the first half were prayers for the Ephesians, for them to grow, for them to know God better. It was was prayers for their spiritual life and their spiritual growth. There weren't any prayers for their physical health, no prayers for their prosperity. We are commanded to pray for the sick. There's nothing wrong to pray for what we need. In fact, we're commanded to do that, to pray for our daily bread. But too many times our prayers can be too selfish and self-focused on immediate needs, on needs that fade, rather than on what's most important. Our spiritual health for, uh, I need some better food. This food the Romans served me is nasty. And he didn't pray for that. He, He didn't pray for a more comfortable place to live. He didn't pray for bringing more money. He prayed for the gospel to be heard, for him to say it clearly and boldly. I think the more we pray for what God wants for us, the more he answers. Because, you know, the prayer that's answered 100% of the time is the prayer when we're asking for the will of God and the exact same thing he wants to give us. If he's going... He wants us to pray for something and give us something. We ask selfish or things that he doesn't want to give us or things that we don't need right now. His answer is going to be, no, not now. Wait. Need to learn some more. So I try to look at the prayers of the Bible and have them shape my prayer life. Although, as I said earlier, pray all the time. Use all kinds of prayers. There's no wrong prayer to pray. Don't get me wrong, okay? There's no wrong prayer to pray but we can be better prayers. Paul ends his letter with grace and love, peace and truth, as he has shared throughout the letter. And so I'm going to pray and leave you with that, that this truth in this letter will bring you the grace of God, the peace of God, that your love for him would increase as you know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of his love. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we are not alone in Him. And that He's just on borrowed time waiting for His eternal destiny in that lake of fire. Lord, I pray that we would not allow Him to get His last hits in and those last licks in of destruction before His destruction. So Lord, I pray that we would be alert, that we would always be praying, and that this armor of God would protect us. Most of all, Lord, I pray that we would fight in your strength and be focused on you and what you have done for us, and not focused on our enemy and what he's trying to do. 
You are a great God, a powerful God. We love you. We want to live for you. We pray these things in your name. It's not just simply a time to sing a song. It's a time to talk, to get right with God. I prayed at the very beginning that God would be here with us and that he would meet us and change us. If you haven't met him yet, you still have a few more minutes, okay? You can talk to him now and you can hear from him and he can change you and you can leave here a different person. You've heard the gospel this morning. You've heard how to fight the battle against him. I will be in the back. You can come back right now and I'll pray with you. I'll help you with any need that you have right now as we respond to our Lord. Let's sing and respond.